There's another one you don't want to hear. Frankly, the do I. Hello and welcome to episode 59 of the Power Chord Hour podcast. Hope you're doing well out there. Thanks for checking out another episode. And I cannot believe we're almost here at uh, number 60. And uh, if you're new to the show, thank you very much for checking us out. If this is number 5, number 6, maybe you've listened to all 59. And really, technically, there's more than that. um, Because I don't count the throwback episodes and uh, the bonus episodes that I've done one or two of those. So, like, really, um, we have had, there are, like, over 60 podcasts in our feed. But as far as, like, just official episodes or whatever, we are, uh, yeah, getting inching there to uh, 60. I don't know. I, I would like to say I have uh, something special planned, but I do not. <laughs> I didn't I didn't have a whole lot planned, actually, this week. Didn't even, uh, did not have a guest on board. But I do, uh, before we get into it, want to thank Joey Cobra, last, last week's guest. Uh, I had a blast talking to him. Was rad to have him in studio. That is always uh, very fun. And uh, we do have a couple other local musicians I got to have in sometime. And uh, there was a band I was supposed to have on like a long time ago, uh, like probably around the time, probably around like the first time that Joey was on the show uh, that I was going to have on and just, you know, things, things as they do with interviews. Sometimes it's just hard for schedules to, uh, you know, meet up. But uh, yeah, I should have, I should have some more in studio guests you know, which which is kind of weird to say right now. Obviously, with the you know, uh, still in a still in a pandemic in a way, though, though you are seeing things uh, open up more now. But uh, yeah, I would love to uh, get more people in studio. I don't mind doing phoners; they're still fun that way, and uh, I've always been cool with that because I mean that that's kind of been the uh, case the whole time I've been doing interviews. Just because where I live, you know, you're not. Uh, you're not really getting a whole lot of people around here, but there are some uh, really rad mu- musicians who I should, uh, who I do need to highlight uh, on here, which I have played their music and stuff. But you know, have them on here and uh, you know just talk more and have fun. It, it is different doing it in the uh, studio too versus you know just doing it over the phone. You get you get more of like. I don't feel like you're talking over each other so much. You can kind of, you know, because you can look at each other too in your facial expressions and kind of like get if like, you know, they have a lot more to talk about on something or, you know, if they're like starting to lose speed on it and, you know, it is a good time to like change, you know, kind of change gears or whatever. But uh, yeah, absolutely fun doing that. Joey Cobra, go check out last week's episode if you haven't yet and uh, check out our very first interview with them. I don't even know what number that would be. Probably, um, it was July of last year. So I mean, I I'd say probably in the thirties. I'd imagine that interview was somewhere in like the third, like episode thirty something. But uh, yeah, if you want to go check that out. But uh, no guest, like I said this week, it is a solo one. But I was thinking of fun things to talk about and uh, a topic that I've wanted to bring up on here for a while. I was like kind of a a fun one next time I don't have a guest and I just kind of want to come on here and talk about something. You know, everyone talks about your debut record. You know, like that's such a big thing. Uh, So many times bands are really, you're very much defined by that first album, which is sometimes a good thing, sometimes it's not. 
And uh, I, I think most bands will tell you that it's a gift and a curse. You know, I mean, sometimes you want to be to, you know, you're happy for any success. And uh, if it comes early, great. But there are times where, you know, I, I think later on, whether it's a change in sound or just, you know, just not, you know, something not aging well or, you know, you just artistically, you know, kind of cringing looking at your old stuff, whatever it is, maybe, uh, you know, maybe in your opinion, your best work isn't isn't what the isn't what's biggest. Though I would I would say most most people probably feel that way. I bet if you if you asked most uh you know, like people have written huge songs or like, you know, a band who who's known for, uh, you know, I mean, it, it doesn't even really have to be a one hit wonder. It doesn't have to be one big song, but really anyone. I mean, you could take you could take the biggest band in the world and I mean, you can even take the Beatles. And I mean, if you ask them the song, I mean, obviously the Beatles are fucking huge, you know, but like, I'm sure that their songs or if you ask them, they'd, they'd go, you know, if you ask like Ringo or Paul, like they'd probably go, I can't believe this song wasn't as big as this one you know like I'm surprised this wasn't our song you know which it is you don't you don't really get to choose in that sense you know like like whether you are the Beatles or you are like a one-hit wonder you know you don't you don't particularly get to choose your legacy or how people remember you or the song they remember you by you know it's not really by choice but I would assume most people uh you know the song they think is the best song they ever wrote is not the one that uh you know the general public probably probably would think or, or at least like you know what uh like album streams and album sales and stuff would tell you but uh yeah so you know debut is such a big thing and then doing a sophomore record you know there's always a sophomore slump there's the follow-up and the pressure to that and you know everything that goes along with it the whole your whole life to write the first record three months to write the second one whatever um but anyway I want to talk about, you know, on the positive side of that, sure, there's tons of ones that you can probably think of right now where the second album was either not very good or did not do, you know, to you is not as good as the uh, debut. And that's any band. I mean, any any band you can think of. And there are, you know, that's also not to say that every band's debut is their best. But, you know, the debut, once again, is either I feel like fan, normally the fan favorite or if nothing else you know, has a, uh, you know, like a huge impression on your career either way. So what I want to talk about instead on this one is sophomore albums that were even better than the first one that like shattered expectations that ended up taking you somewhere that, uh, you did not expect to go, you know, or, or like you were maybe expecting a good album, but like just blew you away. Cause like sometimes that's all you can hope for, you know, including like the bigger, the debut album, it's it's going to be and really just any album in general like if you have an extremely successful album like i mean the pressure of following it up whether it is your sophomore record whether it is you know whatever number record it is for you that can be like really really fucking stressful and a lot of times you do fall under pressure and what you get is not great so i mean like you know i and there's so many examples so i mean i i kind of wrote like you know a handful of ones that i that i think are like really, really good. And some that just blew me away, like some bands who honestly, like when I was like thinking about the albums, like a few of them blew me away when I, when I like quickly realized like, Oh wait, that was their sophomore album. But you know, it's, it is, it's like a more positive way to look at it. Cause so many times 
there is that sophomore slump, you know, there, there is that, you know, the second album really fucks up a band's career. Like they have a lot of steam going on the first one. And then that, you know, the next one comes and it's like, Oh, you know, it, it just kind of takes you right off track, you know, whatever, whatever like career trajectory you thought you were taking all of a sudden, you know, does, uh, yeah, does not, does not, uh, go well. You, you maybe don't work as well under pressure as you would like to. But before we get into it more, um, I do actually have a giveaway for this week. Very, very cool. want to thank uh, Jeremy Porter for sending me a few copies of his new record, Candy Coated Cannonball. I got a copy here right in front of me, though you cannot see it because uh, this is an audio medium. If uh, if you couldn't tell, if, uh, if only right now you're realizing there's no visual element to this and you're listening to me. But uh, anyways, in front of me, I have a few copies of Jeremy's very excellent new record, Candy Coated Cannonball, and uh, going to start playing some stuff off this on the radio show, and uh, really good stuff, good power pop, and uh, y- you can tell, I know he's a Replacements fan, um, when, I, when I was emailing back and forth with him, uh, that was a band that definitely came up, our mutual love for Paul Westerberg. and uh, just some really good stuff here with it. So our giveaway, very nice and easy here. Email me, powercordhour at gmail.com, or you can DM me on uh, any of our social media, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any way you can get a hold of me. I want to know your three favorite albums released so far this year, and uh, I will pick, I have uh, two prize packs I'll be sending out, both include Jeremy Porter's brand new record, we got some uh, stickers and uh, a coaster and some other cool stuff here from Jeremy to throw in. I also have, I literally have two Power Court Hour t-shirts left, and uh, those will each go out to whoever the winner is, as well as some Power Court Hour stickers and a few other things actually that I will pull out of the uh, Power Court Hour archives that we really don't give out anymore. Uh, some old, some old swag that uh, people have not been able to get here for a while. Some even, I think, for uh, maybe for a year or two. I don't know. It's been a while. So yeah, a little prize pack here full of uh, Jeremy Porter and Power Chord Hour stuff. Just get a hold of me, powercordhour at gmail.com or our socials. Let me know your three favorite albums released so far this year, and uh, I'll pick two winners, and we will send you this out. And uh, you have so today. Uh, if you're listening to this day, it comes out April 12th. You have until April 19th, and then uh, we will we will pick the winners, and I will announce them on uh, that week's podcast, whatever. I can't do the math. Next week's podcast, I believe that would be. So, uh, yeah, hit me up. You have a week, and uh, let me know your three favorite uh, releases of the year so far. I know it's still early, so so far there's still time for lots of more new music. And uh, yeah, and in return, you will get new music. You'll get some new Jeremy Porter and a new T-shirt and uh, a bunch of other cool stuff. So yeah, if you like free shit, you like free swag, you uh, you know, you like getting mail, any of that stuff, hit me up, powercordhour@gmail.com, and uh, and I'll shut up now. I know I keep saying our uh, email over and over again, but uh, yeah. It's our first giveaway on here, I think. We I don't know that we've done one uh, on here. I think I think we've done one over the years on the radio show, maybe one or two. But uh, yeah, want to thank Jeremy. Uh, he's the whole reason we're doing it. He was nice enough to send us some uh, albums, and uh, yeah, all all on him. I I thought I'd throw a few things in there, but uh, he was nice enough to uh, donate some goodies. But we're going to get into uh, this week's topic: second best records, the sophomore albums that were better than the debuts. And uh, the one that I'm going to start with here, I think a very strong album, 
is Newfound Glory with their 2000 self-title record. And while nothing gold can stay, like this is this is a band that like right away is one of the first ones that come to mind when I think of uh, the second album being better than the first. And really where I think it's the proper introduction of the band. Now, I think there are people out there who really, really love Nothing Gold Can Stay. And like, like I'm not super surprised. There are people that is that is even their favorite. And I mean, there are good songs on that album. But this is one of those ones where the debut, yes, you have your whole career to write it. But you're also new to the band. You know, you, you may be, maybe there's the primary songwriter in the band. Maybe you're all kind of writing your own stuff by yourself. But having five guys come together to write this album, you know, it it's very, it sounds, nothing gold can stay I'm talking about, but, you know, it is youthful and raw and full of energy. But at the same time, I feel like it just kind of sounds like a lot of other bands from that era. You know, it's not the, it's one of those things where if, if that was the album, you know, if Newfound Glory didn't have, say, like, self-titled and say like Sticks and Stones, kind of like the the next like three albums, you know, self-titled Sticks and Stones and Catalyst. Like, I think I think those were very important for what made them so big, you know, and so important, and why why we look at them, you know. I mean, I know they're still going, but even even back then, is one of the best bands to do it in that era is albums like this because the first one just sounds like a lot of other bands that were out at the time, and I think on uh, self-titled. This is like, this is the introduction. Yes, they have a record before it, but this is the real introduction to Newfound Glory. This is them. This is like, this is the album where they show us why, you know, why they were going to stay around for as long as they have now and why they were going to get so big and why this album did so well for them too. You know, why they started to get to play shows with Blink-182 and, you know, play arenas and things like that. And, you know, even on their own headline, you know, like sellout theaters and everything they did, you know what I mean? And I forget sometimes, too, how big, uh, you know, I believe this record is gold. I don't think it's platinum, but at the very least, I believe self-titled is uh, gold. And, I mean, it's one of those albums where I think about it, and I think of the time it came out, the year 2000, and it's like it really encapsulates what was great about pop punk in that time. And really also that right before it became very commercial, you know, and I, and I love so many things that came afterwards, you know, I'm not like damning pop punk because it got popular. Like, I mean, I loved good Charlotte. I loved simple plan. Those are bands that got me into a pop punk, you know, like a lot of those more commercial bands and even just the more commercial sound like newfound glory, you know, I mean, they do start, you know, like sticks and stones definitely is more, uh, produced and cleaner sounding and there's nothing wrong with that you know I love those records too but this is that in between where I think the momentum was really picking up for you know pop punk at that time drive through records was around for a few years and I think you know like and again I mean I love those early drive through releases but like this is also the time where drive through started like releasing albums that that it kind of goes back to that legacy thing even though you don't know it at the time it's same with like newfound glory where like with drive through, there's great albums early on in their catalog, but like this is the era where the albums they were releasing in this time were what made them legendary and what made them what we are, you know, like what we think of them now, you know, is this like label that just, I mean, for like a solid decade, just everything they released was absolute gold. But you know, it's it's just like with this album where like. 
yes, there was stuff before it, but it's like, then there's this album and everything after, you know, and it's kind of like the same with drive through. It's like, there's drive through before the year, like 1999 or 2000. And then there's drive through records after that, you know, like in the 21st century. And, uh, you know, I, I think these are just, they're just certain very important things. And going with that, you know, like, like I was saying with, uh, you know, pop punk becoming more commercialized after this was that, this was that like things were really building up, you know, bands, bands were like releasing things for a few years and they were really starting to get their legs, you know, really find their footing, you know, get tighter as bands. And this is, you know, this is the genre as a whole. And it's before that blow up, you know, like Enema of the State was out at this time. You know, you had big albums like that. So, I mean, like you had that whole like Blink was about to do, you know, kind of like what Green Day did six years prior. Blink was about to do for, you know, themselves and Newfound Glory and the Saves the Days and the Jimmy Eat Worlds and the Drive Through Records bands, you know, like like all of those pop punk bands. And yes, it did become more commercial. And this is kind of before it. But it's like, again, they deserved that, you know, they deserved the attention that they ended up getting. And this is the time where they were putting out the stuff that, you know, would lead to that, you know, lead to the whole reason that you did see Newfound Glory on TRL that, you know, Blink was playing arenas. And it's because, you know, those bands were really goddamn talented and writing songs like Hit or Miss or All the Small Things or, you know, All My Fault, you know, like Phoenix TX, you know, so just different, different things like that where they did earn their place in uh you know on MTV and all of those you know huge places and i one of those one of the quintessential albums uh newfound glory was self-titled and it's like i i really like that's the thing i think this album and what it did for the band i mean really overshadows nothing gold can stay you know and and i don't want to shit on that record again there's great songs on it and there's a charm to it too because also knowing where uh, newfound glory went it's kind of like with blink where like i think the old stuff like like, I think, you know, some people don't like Buddha and Cheshire Cat and that kind of stuff. I've always liked it. And it's like, I also think part of why I like it is, yes, there is a lot of it where it's like, okay, it's kind of generic and sounds like of the time. You know, it does sound like what no effects and, you know, all, you know, like other punk bands are doing in like 1995. But it's good. And it's also, once again, a documentation of a band who ended up like a defining band of the genre and, you know, an early snapshot of them, you know, I mean, Blink's another one where they're, they're kind of like, you know, you look at their debut and, uh, you know, definitely not defined by it. Maybe, maybe at a, sh you know, earlier on in their career, like, like b way before they were big, like maybe people were like, oh, this, you know, like the, like this dude ranch isn't as good as Cheshire Cat, but like they're, they're one who, you know, thankfully didn't get so defined like, and they're probably thankful that they didn't get, you know, fucking huge off Cheshire Cat. Because if you did, you know, like, like then you're kind of trapped in this place where, you know, even if they did write Enema of the State, it may have never did what it did. Because initially when it came out, you know, critics and fans might have shit on it before it could ever hit mainstream. Because it's just like, this isn't Cheshire Cat, you know. So it's one of those... They're one of those ones where, thank God, a debut didn't define them. And same with uh, Newfound Glory. I mean, I'm, I think it was big for them within the scene, and I think they toured off of it from. Uh, and I could be, you know, I'm not a Newfound Glory historian, but I'm pretty sure they did tour off of it a decent amount as well. 
So it's like I think Nothing Gold Can Stay was big for them in the sense as a debut is where you start touring and doing more stuff. But uh, yeah, this is the album where I go. This is the true inter- introduction, you know, like like this is this is them like as a very tight band and uh, I mean just really on fire. I still I think some of their best songs and one of those albums too that just goes by so fast. Like you just listen to, you love every song, you never want to skip a track. And it's just, you know, it's high energy the whole time. Like they're never, you know, they never slow down. There's no filler. Like the whole album front to back is, uh, I mean, just a, it's just a classic. And there, and there is a great in between again, where like, this is, it's, it still has the energy of nothing gold can stay, but it does sound better and it's more well-produced but it's also not as produced and as slick as sticks and stones. It's really this good in between, you know what I mean? Like, like it's a, it's the band and it's very much the real band. It's not like they just like clean them up in studio or anything like that, you know, or like created them in studio, but they just kind of took what they were already doing and tweaking it. And like, because again, there is a good band on nothing gold can stay, but like they became great on uh on self title you know i i love this album it's uh i feel like most people i'm definitely like i i have no hot takes newfound glory my favorite newfound glory albums i think are like basically everyone else's as well you know it it's it's just that nice it's a young band but you know they had a few years behind them at that point and i think it shows and uh, you know, you you just get you just get an absolute classic record out of it. You know, another band who I mean, right away, like Newfound Glory is one of the first ones that pop in my head when I think of the band whose uh, sophomore record was better than the debut, and the second one has to be Saves the Day. Uh, just a year earlier, with uh, Through Being Cool released in 1999. Uh, funny enough, they didn't play Through Being Cool on that, but I was gonna say, funny enough. I saw Newfound Glory play self-titled front to back on their 10-year anniversary tour, and uh, Saves the Day was the main support on that. But they did not play through being cool front to back, but uh, I, I remember they played a good chunk of songs off of it. It was a few years later. I, I did see them play through being cool front to back, but that uh, wouldn't be for, like, another, like, I think four years. But uh, anyways, this is another one where, like, Can't Slow Down is a good record, and I will actually say is a stronger debut than nothing gold can stay in my opinion, because I think there are songs on that that are like, some of them are the best, like saves the day songs. Like, like there are a handful where I go, like those are still some of like Chris's, uh, Chris's best. And also, but more than anything, I think there's inklings on there of what a good lyricist Chris is and, and like where the band was going to go. Um, I, my whole, my whole thing with it is nothing new. It's, it's what everyone else has uh, always said. You know, I think on, uh, can't slow down while it is a good album. It just, it very much sounds like, like lifetime. And, and, you know, I would say some kid dynamite in there and, uh, you know, a lot of other just like New Jersey bands from that era, you know, who, uh, I'm sure were huge influences on Chris and, uh, and are great bands too. Like, that's the other thing. Like, can't slow down is a good album and you and I like listening to it cuz I love, you know, bands like Lifetime and stuff like that. So I mean, there's nothing, you know, including when you look at it, if you look at it through that lens and go like on paper if I went, do you want to hear an album that sounds like Lifetime that was written by Chris Conley? I'd go fuck yes. Like if I if I'd never heard Can't Slow Down before 
And that and that on paper, like you just described to me, I would go, fuck yeah, that sounds amazing. And it is. But as far as a band with their own identity and, you know, and because Saves the Day really, I mean, has went on, I, I think they're one of my favorite bands. I mean, if I really think about it, they're up there um, for sure. I mean, he is he is one of the best lyricists in pop punk of all time and just in general. I mean, the man, the man can conjure up images with uh, his words. I mean, for sure. And, uh, through being cool is, is my fate. It probably is my favorite. I, it's very hard going back and forth with that and stay what you are. Now. I do think there is probably argument here, just like with uh, super drag with, I go head trip in every key is uh, super drag's best album. But my favorite album of theirs is Regretfully Yours. But I can acknowledge their masterpiece, their greatest album, is Head Trip in Every Key. You know, like, like it's like that. But I go, Regretfully Yours, I love so much that, you know, I'm always going to pick that as my favorite. But I can realize, you know, I, I can, like, acknowledge. And that's kind of the thing with Saves the Day. I go, through being cool you know, is, is my favorite, but I mean, really from a, you know, artistic standpoint and musically and just, I mean, also how, you know, I mean the, the, I don't even know if I want to say 360, but I mean the change in sound yet successfully doing it too. Like, like there's just so much in the maturity as well, um, of stay what you are. I mean, it's probably, I mean, I don't, I don't know if Chris Connolly would say that's his masterpiece. I don't, I don't know what he would consider, at least if not masterpiece, like the best saves the day album. But uh, I would assume it's up there. It's up there pretty high. You know, I mean, there's something very special about that album. But you know, I'm also a fool for, uh, you know, just a good fast album. Yeah, I mean, we, I talked about this album last week with Joey Cobra, and uh, just saves the day in general. We talked about it a little bit. And how this this kind of is my ritual of listening to this album coming home from Cleveland. But it's one of those ones where, like, it clocks in at, I think, 20-something minutes. Like, it's so short. Like, it's under a half hour. It just, it smacks you in the face. It's just like, I mean, again, it, it goes with the same thing with, uh, you know, Noose Pound Glory self-titled. Yes, you can have an album that's fast all the way through. I mean, both bands had that with their first one. Nothing Gold Can Stay and Can't Slow Down are both fast albums but they don't hit you, I think, in the same way. Like, yes, every song may be fast, and it may be, you know, in that terms, okay, it's a good punk album, but, like, this one is fast and stuff, but it's also hitting you, there's substance to it. You know what I mean? Like, it's not just songs played very fast with, you know, distorted power chords over them. It's like, there's more going on here. Like, you're listening to, you know, I mean, some pretty good vocal melodies, some really good hooks. I mean, and again, lyrics, I mean, Chris Connolly, I mean, just, uh, again, you're listening to these fast songs, but it's like, you're picking out what he's saying and you're like, Oh my God. Like, I mean, again, like the pictures that he, uh, that he paints. I remember in my, uh, it was a communications class I had I don't know, fucking like years ago. Now this is like 2013. I think I did it, but I remember for my final, my uh, final report or whatever in there, I had to write like an eight page uh, report on you could pick. Uh, I forget what it, I don't know if it's called like a rhetorical artifact, something like that having to do with rhetoric, but uh, you know, going, going through and just analyzing someone's body of work and like just, you know, taking arguments for why it's so good or why it's this and that. 
And uh, I did that on saves a day. I mean, I wrote like eight pages at least. I think, you know, it may have been even more. I, I think it was more than eight pages. Um, but it, it was at the very least eight pages and just dissecting like from the beginning of their career and on. And I mean, basically talking about what I'm talking about here, can't slow down has inklings of it, but you continue to see it as you go on. And like the pictures that Chris Connolly paints, like is just so, cause again, you can write, you can write like, you know, fast songs and yeah, they're fun. Like I can put on an album and it's enjoyable, but it's not hitting me in the same way that an album like, you know, that uh, an album like Through Being Cool does. It's just, I mean, it's it's amazing. I, I love I love every aspect of the album. And again, like to be able to write one that's just in and out like that, just very, very quick. Um, another reason why I why I keep uh, talking about Attic Salt's new new record, Get Wise. Um, from, well, from last year, I guess it's not, it it is still new, but I think it's been out like six or seven months, but it's one of those ones where like that album, I think clocks in at like 22 minutes. So it's like, like, I love albums like that where it's like, I love it. And that you can have substance. There's another one where it's like, they're very good lyricists in that band. And like, you're listening and like there's, there's shit to pick up on and they're, they're catchy and there's good hooks and stuff, but it's also just a fast, fun record. Like those are my favorites. Like they, because they can also prove you can have substance in a very short amount of time. You know, it doesn't just have to be yelling, you know, nonsense over, over very fast tempos. It doesn't just have to be that, you know, there can, uh, it can be more thought out and it doesn't have to be as straightforward. You know, that's the other thing. These songs are still fast, but they're not as uh, straightforward either from the uh, first one. You know, I, I think, uh, I, I think they took like what they were doing well to those inklings, you know, they kind of, they, they shed the part of, we just sound like all our influences and they kept those parts that were unique to the, to the first one. You know, I mean, Jody is one of the ones that, that stick in my mind. Like that's one that, that really is a great, a great album closer. And I think it, it's showing where Chris is going, you know, like as a, as a musician, I think that's a good one that really kind of shows you like, Oh, like, yeah, they're not just some band from New Jersey, just kind of, you know, doing this. Like they're, they're like, he's like a bona fide like songwriter, you know? And, uh, I mean, I, I love this. I love this album. I always, uh, I favor it, you know, and I, I don't mind where saves a day went later on. I like some of the weirder albums, but, uh, I think they're at their best here. This is another, you know, this is another one where it's kind of that in between as well, where I think there's more substance than the, uh, you know, than say like can't slow down. I, I think there's more here substance wise, but it doesn't lose the energy and stuff of that first one where I think later on there's times where sometimes that's the weakness is the, uh, you know, kind of overthinking things at times and getting, getting too complicated where really it's like there's a nice in between, you know, and I I think they found it on this one and same with stay what you are. I mean, I I think you can hear it on there. You know, that one kind of hits you in a face in a different, in the face in a different way. You know, it's not, it's not as, uh, you know, breakneck speed fast, but it's like, there are some fast songs on it. And, uh, I mean, for sure, I I think there's fireflies really one of them firefly. I think if you put more distortion on the guitars, you probably could have heard that on uh on through being cool. Like really if you just tweaked a couple things and you put distortion on those guitars, I totally think you would uh you would have heard it on on that album. But uh yeah. 
again though like that's that's another like like going back to newfound glory too where it's like just a string of amazing albums you know i mean just just keep going and going and uh you know again like like finding really really both bands and i guess it kind of goes on too as i as i go through my list but really bands who quintessentially like found their sound on the second album you know wasn't the first one that they really found their sound it was the second one, you know, and uh, kind of the same thing for the next one. And uh, actually, a guest that we had on about a month ago now, but uh, the Dirty Nil uh, Master Volume from 2018. I love that record. I I fucking love it. I'm still the jury's still out. Fuck art needs to be out longer for me to to really say which album I like more, whether it's Master Volume or Fuck Art, because I feel like I listen to both. A pretty equally and I mean that's also I gotta say that's a compliment to uh, Luke and the band because normally it's one of those things too where I'll listen to one and then it's just like well what what do I listen to now and I go well fuck I'm gonna go listen to the other run like you know what I mean like if I'm listening to Master Volume it's like what should I listen to now well obviously fuck art you know I gotta throw that on and uh, so yeah I, I gotta I feel like it's only fair in like a year, you know, it should probably be out at least a year for me to uh, really say, you know, since Master Volume, I've uh, I've had a few years now, hard to believe, almost three years, I think, to uh, sit with. And this is this is a band though that is also, you know, like I was saying with Newfound and Saves the Day, they had a couple years behind them at that point. The Dirty Nil had quite a while behind them, and I, I think another one where time was. It, it was good for them to be able to build up to something like that. And now this is another one where I think there are people out there who, who love higher power and think that's like their best. And I mean, higher power is a solid debut. Like, I mean, that's the other thing. Like it's also not me sitting here just shitting on bands debuts. Like, you know, I, I think higher, higher power has, has some really, uh, I mean, some really good songs and uh and it but it's another one where i go my favorite parts of it are the things that foreshadow where they were going you know like i mean they're they're already a pretty guitar heavy you know guitar rock band but i i think my favorite parts on that are like the riffs that luke plays where i'm like he does more of that you know he kind of explores that more on master volume it's kind of that thing where where i go like okay like i can hear it on here but i'm like I'm going to go listen to this one. It becomes that where it's like, I like, I like this album, but if I'm being honest, I think they do it better on the next one. So then I'm, you know, I just end up listening to a master volume more, but you know, this is a band who, I mean, they started, they really technically started in like Oh six Oh seven. And I mean, weren't, I don't think super serious in the beginning, you know, like, like when I talked to Luke, I mean, they were a two piece with uh, just him and Kyle for a very long time. And I mean, they released tons of like EPs through the years, you know, like fat records put out that, uh, minimum R and B, like I think a year before uh higher power came out. Um, and that had, I mean, just tons of, you know, just compiling all the like EPs and splits and stuff they did through the year. So, I mean, you know, they, they had recorded material and, you know, they had time together, but, uh, on this one, I think it's accumulation of, you know, all those years of working that out, you know, also, also going from a duo to a trio. And, uh, and then I, I also think a huge credit to, uh, Ross who, who joined as their, uh, replacing their uh, old bass player and singer and, uh, you know, becoming, becoming, I think more, uh, 
but like you like you don't realize it, I think, and that's I think the beauty of Ross is that sometimes you don't realize that he sings, I think, on like almost every song. He's doing he's like, you know, either doubling vocals with Luke or, you know, he's doing background vocals and stuff, or screaming. He has a great scream, and I think his uh his addition, I think, is very well. You know, I, I think it works really well. For one, he's a great bass player and uh, you know, doesn't just play root notes or anything like that. He's a very he really holds his own in a way that allows Luke to, you know, solo and do different shit. And, uh, I mean, I, I think that whole band, I mean, nothing nothing new again. You know, all, all the stuff I kind of talked about when Luke was on a few months ago. But uh, just really for a trio, they're so fucking loud and so powerful. And, uh, you know, huge credit to the rhythm section, you know, for keeping it. Or having such a tight rhythm section where Luke can, you know, wail on his guitar and do just some great fucking solos. And just amazing. Like, I think we talked about the solo. I think when I asked him, like, his favorite riffs um, that he's written, I, I think that's what Heaven Feels Like came up. And, uh, you know, I the more I listen to that song ever since talking to him, I, I listen to that solo and I go, holy shit. Like, I mean... So, so good. Like, you know, I mean, if you're the people out there who talk about how there's no guitar and music anymore, like you got to go listen to Dirty Nil, like including including Master Volume, like go listen to that that record. And like this is like bands are bands are still playing guitar and they're doing it well. Like, you know, you just got to pay attention to the right ones, you know, and, uh, you know, it's also the reason why Fuck Art's still my favorite album to come out this year so far. But, uh, you know, on on Master Volume, they just did. Again, I think this is another example of taking what they did on the first record very well and, uh, you know, taking that and improving on it and also going more in a, you know, whatever direction you even want to call for them. Because the, the other charm and beauty of them is that they're not pigeonholed to one genre. I mean, it really is easiest just to call them a rock band because there's, I mean... They sound like Cheap Trick. They sound like Metallica. They sound like The Replacements. They sound like Husker Du. They sound like The Ramones. They, I mean, they sound like, like they, they're just one of those bands too, who I think can work on so many different kinds of festivals. You know, there's a, there's those certain bands who can like, like every time I die is a, is a band like that who can play, you know, could play the band's Warp Tour, but then could go play Ozfest. You know, that kind of thing. And the Dirty Nil have that. And what I love, too, though, in the other way is they go more for the pop side. Like, they can be heavy as fuck, but they have the pop sensibility and the, like, you know, like, love of, of like, melody and hooks and stuff. So it's like they're heavy, but really a lot catchier than the bands who will sometimes, like, mesh genres together and go on the heavier side. Like, I feel like the Dirty Nil go the other way. Where, uh, you know, it's like we write very catchy, like pop songs and stuff, but, but like under amazing fucking guitar riffs and like, you know, great, you know, great rhythm section and, and just, you know, everything else. Um, and, and they're another one where I think simplicity is key, you know, just a, uh, just a trio and on master volume, it's just a rock band. It's, it's three guys playing and, uh, it sounds, it sounds fucking massive, but it's like, there's not a bunch of crazy things. There's not a bunch of like layered, you know, guitars and layered vocals. You got Ross and Luke, you know, both uh, singing and playing their hearts out. You got Kyle on drums, you know, I mean, just a great, just a great uh, record. I mean, and another one too, where I can't listen to one song. I just hit play and listen to the whole, the whole thing. This is, uh, 
this is another one of those flawless albums, in my opinion, of uh, of just, you know, and those are kind of the albums I wanted to pick, too, because I, I had an even bigger list for this episode of uh, sophomore records that are better than the debut, but really the ones I whittled down, I think, were the ones where I really look and go, like, these are records that are, like, at least for me personally, and I would love to know what you think, you know, I'd love to know what you think of my list and, you know, whether or not you agree with the sophomore records being better than the debut, but just like with this one where it's like, it's just good front to back. It's not only better than the debut, but they wrote an album that's just solid from the beginning to the end that like, I never want to skip a track. I like, and I love it more and more as time goes on too. Like I've, I've fallen in love more with this album, uh, the last couple of years than, uh, when it, than initially when I first heard it, you know, it, uh, it kind of started as I liked a song or two. And then from there, I'm just like, holy shit, like the whole album clicked and, uh, you know, I, I love it. And they, they continue to like, I'm excited to see what they do next. Like I thought, I thought they, uh, they took, they did the same thing with their third album. You know I mean? After the sophomore, I think, I think they had, uh, you know, a lot of success with master volume. It definitely got, I think more eyes on them than, than a uh, higher power, you know, I think, uh, I think it did a ton for them. You heard them on the radio. I mean, like, like you, you heard them places, they were getting more like mainstream attention. And, uh, you know, so I, I actually think more than anything too, they probably had more pressure on fuck art than they did on master volume. You know, I think they had a lot more eyes on them. And, uh, again, they, they did such a, uh, they did just such a good job, you know, on that. But I mean, same with this too, where I go, you know, now and three years ago as well, like they do their own thing. Like, you know, they have their influences, but it's like, what, what other, look at the albums released in 2018 or any time like recent. And it's like, no one really sounds like them. Like there's not, there's not a band who's even up to like, take their like slot. Cause they kind of have their own like position. Cause just, they do their own thing, you know? And I think they also wrote an album with master volume. That's timeless in that sense of it doesn't sound like 2018. Cause it doesn't sound like anything that came out in 2018 and it has all these, cause you'll get people who go like, it sounds like the nineties. It sounds, you know, like early Weezer, but then you'll get people who go like, it sounds like the early two thousands. Then you get people who say, you know, it sounds like the eighties, like college rock and nobody, but here's the thing. No one's wrong. None of those assessments are wrong either, you know? And, uh, and that's the beauty of a band like the dirty nil, you know? And those, those are my favorites. The ones who, uh, you know, you can't, you can't just throw, like one title on and go like, that's what they are, you know? And the dirty nil, I think, uh, do that amazingly. Another one, a, uh, and a band that I love very, very much banner pilot. I think their second record collapser from uh, 2009 is, is another one where I go, this is, this is where banner pilot becomes a band that, uh, that we know and love resignation day. It's a, it's a good album and it's very, you know, it's funny because they still do what they did later on. Like one of the, one of the best things of banner pilot is the simplicity of them. They're very straightforward. You know what you're going to get out of a banner pilot record. Like there's not a lot of surprises in a good way. Like, I don't mean that in like a bad way at all. Like, like, like that is a good, that is a good thing with them. They know what they do well and they do it. And I think on resignation day, it's a pretty simple, straightforward punk record. You know, you can tell they like Jawbreaker and the Lawrence Arms, and you know that that kind of more like aggressive, gravelly side of uh, pop punk. 
but uh i think i think collapser is where it's like these songs are like legit like just really solid solid songs solid songwriting and again uh you know uh, the proof that you don't need more than like three chords you know what i mean like there's so much of i mean very catchy vocal melodies like just some really amazing stuff i also think nick had uh his control i think he had better control on his vocals on this one than he did on uh, the first one you know i mean still gravelly still aggressive like on uh on the first record but i think in a more i think he has better control over it and was better at singing and more melodic at that point you know i i think uh I think you could really tell, like, like I think again, another one of those ones where it's like he had a few, you know, which I mean, he was in other bands before, obviously, but, uh, you know, at, at least for his voice to use it in a uh, banner pilot, I think he kind of, kind of shook off the, uh, I'd say more the regret, like, and I like rivet head too, but like kind of, kind of going from rivet head where you're even, you know, you take the gravelly vocals but even more, you know, you times it by 10 or whatever than what he's doing a banner pilot. And I think that's the thing. He was kind of shaking off that with uh, resignation day. And then I think collapser comes out and it's his vocals in just perfect form for a band like banner pilot, you know? And, uh, and, and again, it's like, uh, they're another one where like just continuing on, I think souvenirs are best record. I think that's why I'm excited. It's now been, I mean, the follow-up for that, I mean, fuck, that came out in 2014, so it's been, it's been like seven, yeah, that'd be seven years since we got a, a Banner Pilot record, and they've, they've been, they've been talking about it, I believe they started writing, but, uh, I mean, I, I need a follow-up to Souvenir, because I absolutely love that, but, uh, Collapser, Collapser is like where it starts going, like, this whole, this whole album is something really good, like, again, like, this band has a very simple formula, but it works like they, they know, they know how to write a catchy song. They know how to do it with, you know, few chords with nothing crazy. And another band too, where it's like, you know, like with the dirty nil, where it's like, there's not tons of production and really most of the albums or really all the albums I've talked about so far where like, it's not crazy production. It's like, it's there, there's nothing insane here that they can't replicate live. Like this is just a band, you know, like this is an album that could have been recorded live. You know, I mean, easily. I think, too, as far as improving from the first album, the other credit is that the debut came out in 2008, and then this one came out in 2009. So, I mean, that was also in just a year, you know, that I think a lot of improvement, considering that it was recorded, you know, in such a short amount of time. Because sometimes bands will, you know, there may be like a few years in between or something, and they have time, whether it's touring, you know, touring a bunch and just playing together a lot. We're just having time to like, you know, write rough drafts of songs and really work out, you know, work out the kinks and stuff with this one. I mean, maybe they did tour a lot during that time, but even then, I mean, it had to be a short in a short amount of time. So, I mean, props to them um, for that. Another, I mean, just a huge credit to, um, you know, Nate being, I think, a very underrated bass player. Like if we're talking like modern punk music. I mean, he's one of the best bass players. Like, and I think that's the other thing that I really like about Banner Pilot. Like, if I think what I like about them is the guitars are very simple. Like, they kind of go, they kind of do what Face to Face does, where the guitars are a lot more straightforward and they're more like the three chord punk. You know, it's like three, you know, and and no discredit to uh, any of the guitar player, you know, any of the guitar playing in Banner Pilot or Face to Face. 
but it's like a lot of times the guitar is more the simple thing in those songs and it's the bass that's uh doing crazy shit you know i mean it you know opposite of the stereotype of the bass player just playing root notes it's it's more of uh you know the guitars will kind of hold down the fort with you know the kind of a three chord progression you know with you know palm muting or whatever but the uh, bass is just doing these crazy fills and runs and i know nate also played off with their heads for a while and you can tell the stuff that he played on like he has a very he has a very distinct way of playing, which also same with face to face. I get the vibe that he uh, is probably influenced by uh, Scott Shiflet. I think for sure, um, you know, which everyone should be. He's an amazing not only just bass player. If you ever check him out on Instagram, he uh, he'll he'll show off his guitar chops and stuff on there too. And he's just a overall amazing musician. But yeah, I I think Nate doesn't. Uh, I don't think he gets enough credit for that. I think he is. Uh, an amazing, amazing bass player, and uh, some really, some really good shit on Collapser, uh, for sure. And the other thing too, you know, like like giving them credit, like even though less is more, and you know, kind of the the simple approach. If you look like a two in two thousand nine, like the bands that Fat, like the releases that Fat Records put out, like I mean, they you know they had some alumni and stuff on there, you know, and like kind of the the like classics, but it's like this was probably the most original and fresh sounding album to come, you know, to be released in that year. Cause that was also still the time where, and I'll also say no effects is coaster. I really liked a lot. I don't know the general consensus. I don't know that if that's like a beloved no effects album, but that's actually probably one of my, uh, probably one of my favorite no effects records to be honest. So, I mean like, you know, that was a good one, but like really, if you look through, like it's a lot of, it's a lot of the same for fat, like in 2009, you know, it was kind of before, like, I feel like, I feel like this last decade here, like the 2010s, they really revamped. I thought that was a great decade for fat. Like I, I thought not only did the old school fat bands put out some of the best stuff they were putting out in years, you know, like bands like strung out and leg wagon. Um, you know, I mean that they, they definitely come to mind as bands who like, you know, weren't putting out their greatest stuff in like the first half of, you know, the two thousands then the 2010s they really upped their game and kind of like reclaimed that place of like why again, like why they're so beloved and legendary face to face. Another one, you know, really, I mean, just, you know, obviously they're broken up for a good chunk too of the two thousands, but the 2010s, um, they've, they put out a couple of releases that were just really, really solid. But yeah, I mean, as far as looking at the era though, of like 2009, like that time and also before, a lot of the newer bands, you know, that they've signed that are that are great, but you know, before the Get Deads and the uh, Bad Cops, Bad Cops, and the Bomb Pops, and uh, you know, all all the other great ones that they have now, you know, Banner Pilot really, I I, I think was uh, fresh in a time where you know, Fat Records maybe wasn't taking as many chances or signing as many new bands. So I think that's the other thing you got to give Collapse or two is uh, you know, looking looking at when it was released in everything. I think it was uh easily the best thing that Fat put out in uh that year. So credit credit to them. And again, like just being a band who really less less is more. They're not they're not there to blow you away with like their musicianship or like, you know, like, oh man, listen, listen to our you know, there's there's not really fucking guitar solos and shit like that. But they're melodic. You know, that's the other thing. Like even even simple guitar parts, they have very like melodic leads and stuff. Like really 
just really good stuff where it's like they show you why overthinking can be very detrimental to music. Like you don't you don't need to overthink things a lot of times, you know, and uh, and they prove that. But another band, Less Than Jake, with uh, 1996's Losing Streak. This is another one. Like, Pezcore is uh, it's one of those ones, too, where I go, I look, I can listen back to it. I think there's a charm to it because of what they became. But, the, but I will also say, I think one of the biggest downfalls is less of the songwriting on Pezcore. You know, I think, I think as far as songs go, it's a solid debut. Like, I think those are good songs, but... I, the sound of it, it is not like, it's a muddy, it's not even muddy. Actually, it's very like, like the highs and mids. I think there's almost too much of, and there's just times where it just does not sonically sound pleasing, like to listen to, like, it's not like, it's not just like poor production, like just the recording and everything is just not that great where, uh, I think losing streak, you know, and obviously they, uh, re-record Johnny quest and uh, Jen doesn't doesn't like me anymore on that one, and I, I think it improved greatly. Like again, those songs were good anyways. Those songs, you know, the original versions were good too. But it's like just kind of hard to listen to. And I think Losing Streak fixed that, you know, without and without fucking with things. Like it was. It, this is another. The other thing with Losing Streaks, it's another one of those records where it's that it's that in between. It's before they get a little more cleaned up on later records. And it's still, but you know, it's still more clean than the first one. You know, it's like, it's cleaned up enough where it sounds better, but it's not overly polished, you know, and not to say I never thought they got overly polished. I mean, you you know, maybe with in with the out crowd, but I like that record. Actually, I I do defend that record. I think that is a, uh, you know, while it may be different, it may not be a conventional lesson Jake record. And while I don't know that I'd like that if they continued down, you know what I mean? If, if every lesson Jake record sounded like that, I don't know that I would be as uh happy with the sound, but I think that is a great record. But uh, you know, yeah, I think losing streak is this really, I know losing streak too is a lot of people's favorites, you know? And, and I think probably for that reason, like Pezcore again is a solid debut, but like this one, what they did really, I mean, as far as a follow-up goes, I don't think they, they knew, they knew what was good. I think they knew what songs they had were good. And, uh, I mean, obviously too, cause I'm getting signed by, uh, I believe capital on this one. So they got signed to a major label. So, I mean, I think they knew they were doing something right. So in that sense, I don't think they fucked around with their sound too much, but they, they just cleaned it up. It's, it's way more mixed. It's mixed like so much better than, uh, than Pezcore. And just, you know, again, just, you know, continuing down that road of just writing really good ska punk. And, uh, and again, like I've, I've brought up on here, but like Lesson Jake, when you look at the, look at their contemporaries and just look at ska as a whole. And I, I enjoy ska. I play ska bands on the radio show all the time, but like, you know, ska does have a comical side to it. You know, they're. I mean, really, like, it's it's the number one, it's not even number one, I think it's the only genre where half the bands have names that are, like, puns on, on the genre, you know what I mean? Like, just, you don't see that in a lot of other, a lot of other genres, it's like, Less Than Jake can be fun-loving, and it's like, they definitely have, like, jokey songs, and never take themselves too seriously, but also... I mean, you know, Vinny fucking can write some lyrics. Like, I mean, it. it's like you listen to an album like Losing Streak. For one, like, and I didn't hear this album. 
Like I got into Less Than Jake pretty late, and I was someone too who I feel like Less Than Jake's kind of like Green Day in that sense where, and also in a good way where like I think there's just generations of fans where there's, like with Green Day, a lot of people either got into them off Dookie or they got off the, you know, got into them off uh, American Idiot. And I'm one of those where American Idiot was the one I got into. And I think with Less Than Jake, you have the people who either discovered them off like Losing Streak or Hello Rock View or, or the later people like myself who discovered them off Anthem, you know, that kind of like second half of their career. But I discovered Losing Streak pretty damn late, but when I did, I was like 21, 22, and even years later, I mean, I the album, this came out in 1996, that album had to have been out 13 or 14 years at that point. And when I heard it, I mean, you're just like, it's almost like they wrote it. Like, not not even almost. Like, you're convinced they wrote it for everyone that age. Like, there's just something about it. Like, it just, and, and that is such, it's like the biggest compliment I think you give Less Than Jake. Because there's so many bands that they played with and toured with that, like, years later you listen to and it, a lot of it didn't age well. Or it's something that you listen to if you're in the mood. You know what I mean? Like, you're just kind of in the mood for something lighthearted or fun. But Less Than Jake is like one of the ska bands. You know, I don't even want to say few. I don't want to talk shit on the genre. But, I, you know, I, I don't think I'm talking out of line, though, here. I think most people would agree that, uh, you know, that's... And losing, losing streak is the beginning of that, I think. Where, you know, again, it's like you can listen to that record and it's like... It's a Sky record that you that will really pick you up in a way that others won't. You know what I mean? Like it has it has a lot more substance than a lot of other Sky records. Like if you if you lined up and there were a shit ton of them, if you lined up all the Sky records that came out in 1996, like this this one probably aged the best. And I mean, like nothing's probably gonna come close to it. It's not gonna be a a close tie. It's not going to be like, there's not a lot of albums up for competition in, in that. I I think they very much, you know, and again, credit to Vinny, I think just being a, uh, just an an absolute amazing, uh, lyricist. I mean, credit to all of them too, being all great musicians and also for Roger and Chris doing such a good fucking job. You know, I mean, they, you know, you still got to be good at phrasing and singing those, those lyrics and really giving them meaning you know, and uh, I think I think losing streak is one of those ones where this is, you know, they they may have gotten some popularity within the scene off Pezcore, but losing streak is the one where it's like this is them showing you like oh we're not just you know we're not just a fucking you know the hundredth ska band that's popped up in the last couple years like you know and I I think also they're they're blending I think they have one of the best blends of, you know, punk, pop punk and ska. Like I like I think they did it. I think they did it the best where like there there's just this perfect there's this real perfect in between. Like they're very much at like the 50/50 of that. That's also why I think a lot of people who uh maybe aren't but you know who are who are more punk rockers who aren't really into ska would still like Less Than Jake. Like I think there's a lot of people who are like that who aren't generally ska people are more, you know, into pop punk bands who will, you know, it's like that they don't care. Like less than Jake, you know, really has that 50 50 where you can get into them, you know, I, I, which I I think is a, uh, is a great thing. And again, I mean the, just how, how well it's aged, you know, coming from a genre that really, I don't, 
I at least you know at least like the third wave and a lot of the newer like Scott Punk stuff like you know and and it again I like it but again not not made I think to age super well either you know what I mean I don't I don't know that that a lot of those bands in '96 were uh, you know trying to write a record that that you know 40 years later we would all be, uh, you know, listening to when like every, you know, like, like five titles had skank in it. And then another, you know, seven was a, was a play on ska somehow, you you know, like, like when it comes to like things like that, I'm like, you know, I, I, I don't know that they were making it to age amazing. I think it was kind of more in the moment, but less than Jake, whether they were trying to do it or not, uh, with losing streak, just really fucking wrote, a uh, just an amazing, amazing record, you know that that I think that I think really shows them too the that early side of them that that very like when they were basically you know like we're a punk band you know like we're like no idea yeah you know like we come from that whole that whole scene and stuff and it's like that into them becoming a more polished and uh and you know just solid solid ska band later on but this is this is another one where it's like that time capsule of an in-between that uh you know i i think just shows them in just i think a uh a great part of their career and still going strong i i really liked uh last year's silver linings too i thought they still good do a uh good job and i know it's their uh first record without Vinny. And, uh, you know, he, he is, uh, I think he's one of those guys that's like always his output will, or input will always be greatly missed. I think within that, within, uh, less than Jake, you know, I mean, it, it that's just how it is when you have someone who was that big to the songwriting, but, uh, you know, I, I think they uh, know what the fuck they're doing. And I think that it will, uh, continue on down that road and do a, a fine job. But here, I mean, this, this one, this, this next one is, completely insane to think that this was their sophomore record like this is honestly an album that I don't think most bands most bands couldn't write this record I don't but even ones who could I don't think could get to this until like album five or six but uh Husker Du I mean they they are an exception to the rule and uh 1984 Zen Arcade I mean like like what the fuck like this album is already insane to think about that. I mean, basically a hardcore punk band wrote a double album. That's also a concept album. And I mean, just that in itself, shouldn't make sense or work, but what they ended up doing, I mean, a genre defining record, a career defining record. I mean, one of, I mean, I mean, including SST, I mean, has to be one of the most beloved albums I mean, besides Black Flag and the Descendants, like, I mean, what, like, Zen Zen Arcade, I mean, fucking Zen Arcade is up there with, uh, you know, the Milo's, you know, the Milo goes to colleges and the damaged and, uh, you know, all, all of those are, uh, you know, I mean, the, the, this place is right up there. And the fact that again, not only, and here's the other thing, not only is it their second record, but they're following up everything falls apart just a year later. Like, so I mean, not only not only bands talk about the pressure of of writing a follow-up, but these motherfuckers wrote a follow-up that is a double album and a concept album in a genre that, you know, not really I mean, at, at this point, you know, 30 something years later, 
Um, you know, there's there's been hardcore and punk, you know, concept records, but definitely at that time was not a thing. And and again, like on paper, should not probably make sense. But I mean, my God, I mean, from from the beginning, I mean, something I learned today, like, I mean, Jesus Christ, like just and, and it, this is another one. I mean, and the Dirty Nil, I know, are, uh, you know, huge Husker Du fans. And I think take a huge, you know, would tell you that too, uh, a huge, a huge chunk out of the Husker Du book. But I mean, another one where you go, it's a trio. It's three people making all that noise. But I mean, like, like right away, I mean, Grant Hart just with that, with that snare and, uh, Greg with that baseline, I mean, just right from the get go. And then, I mean, you, you listen and like there, there's really Bob mold and, and Grant Hart too. I mean, like just the, the intensity of those vocals. I mean, there's not, there's not another band from the eight. Any hardcore punk bands from that time, I don't know that anyone touches touches those uh those vocals. I mean, as far as intensity and all that goes, I mean there's really you know, you got like your Ian McKay's and stuff and you know, Henry Rollins and and people like that, but like I don't I don't know. I mean though all of them are great too, and there's tons of other great ones, but like listen to them. I mean, Bob mold just sounds like he's going to fucking pass out in the vocal booth. Like he's screaming his fucking head off. Like, like it, it's insane. And I mean, not only that it's being conveyed, but the other thing is, you know, Husker do have always been, you know, just like the replacements, you know, they've always been known for the amazing songwriting, but the production on the albums, though, I will say, actually, I shouldn't say that with the replacements. Cause really Tim gets shit. But like, I think for the most part, uh, they have some really good sounding records. I mean, even, even on sorry, ma, like I, I think sorry, ma is actually a good example of like, there's so many bands from that era who like have these shitty sounding recordings where like, you can't, you don't even want to listen to them. They're also inaudible where the replacements, like not with a huge budget, they went in and somehow made it sound pleasing to the ears without being polished and overproduced. Like it's a lot, you know what I mean? They recorded live, and, you know, like there's not a lot of, you know, they're not fucking overdubbing a bunch of stuff. They're not doing anything crazy, but it's like, it just sounds good. You know what I mean? And, uh, Husker do, though I will say funny enough, Zen Arcade's probably their best sounding record in that sense. But, uh, you know, they're one of, they're, they're one of those bands where you can't say that they're hiding behind like production because that's not what makes them good. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things I think about is, you listen to uh to them like screaming their fucking heads off and i'm like if you had better production on some of those on some of those songs and some of those Husker Du records like it it had it would have to be insane like if if those vocals were more clear and you brought the bass out more and i mean you i mean you bring everything out more and just make it less of a of a muddy mess um including on like the late like Candy Apple Gray is always like one where it's like including it's funny because I mean you know being a major label debut I you know I feel like you normally think it's going to be more polished and a bunch of money in it and uh I you know I love I actually do love that record I know not everyone does but it is not it's not the best sounding like I it's another one where I go uh, if the songs stand on their own because it's not the production of them you know but uh you know yeah Husker Du is one of those ones where again credit credit to that because they're not hiding behind anything you're not listening to it because it's it's pleasing to the ears in that sense 
But, uh, you know, I, and also, too, I mean, I don't I don't know. I guess at the time it's also to say, you know, not not to discredit Spot or uh, anyone else who produced and recorded them. But, uh, you know, also a band so fucking intense, you know, could could uh, the the equipment of the day, you know, handle Husker do that? That's that's the other question there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you just think about it and it's like this band puts out this double album that's over an hour long. Um, has like, I think 23 tracks on it. I mean, like just insane, insane for your follow-up, like insane to put that out as your second album and only a year later. But I mean, look at what it ended up doing. Like, I mean, the influence it had on, I mean, the amount of bands that ended up influencing and also just genre, just like the alternative genre in like general, like what it ended up doing for it is just insane. I mean, it has to be, including, you know, since we're talking sophomore records, has to be one of the most important sophomore albums, you know, it, it there, and they kind of fall in that category too, of like, you know, like a velvet underground where even though it is one of the most important, you wouldn't know it by record sales. You know what I mean? Like Zen arcade, like Zen arcade did well for, you know, a, a hardcore band in the early eighties signed SST. Like, in those terms, I mean, one of the best-selling records on SST, absolutely. But in terms of like, you know, this is the, you know, they don't, they don't have gold records hanging up in their house for Zen Arcade. Like it was, it was huge and impactful, but not in, not in a financial sense. You know what I mean? Like I, you know, they're not, they weren't rolling around in fucking dough from this album, even though they deserved it. You know, I mean, even though you know, all three of them deserve just like, just like the replacements. I mean, the blueprint that both bands put out for, uh, you know, the nine, you know, the bands in the nineties to, uh, I mean, basically become massive off the blueprint that, uh, Husker and the replacements put out in the eighties. I think just on that alone, you know, both bands, I think deserve to be filthy fucking rich and never have to like, you know, work a day in their life, you know, never, uh, never have to do like reunion shows or like a tour that they don't want to do. Um, you know, they should be able to like, just be the richest motherfucker. Like if you wrote, if you wrote, you know, here comes a regular or, you know, um, girl lives on heaven Hill, you know, like, like you, you should not have to worry about money. The, uh, the rest of your life, you know, absolutely. But, uh, yeah, Zen arcade. I mean, fuck like, like I never think about this album as their sophomore, like, cause it's already crazy to think about like, just like in t- this record when you really start thinking about it, but then you think that it's their second one and it's just, you know, it, it's absolutely insane. And, uh, I mean, I, I don't know if it shot that, you know, if it's shooting yourself in the foot either. Cause it's like, like, you know, later on and they wrote great records after this too, but it's like, I would say this was probably harder to follow up then uh, everything falls apart. I mean, I would I would think this sophomore is a good example of a uh, of one that is much harder to follow up than the debut was. You know, one one hundred percent. And uh, and you know, I don't know. It, that's totally up to opinion on if they uh, if they did a better job on the follow up or not. I mean, I don't I don't know when you compare it to Zen Arcade. It's one of those ones where I guess personally, I would I would say you're not gonna outdo this. So it's like I don't even know that it's fair to uh to you know compare i mean they continued writing great fucking records but it's like i mean you you write an album like zen arcade it's like i mean where do you go from there you know i mean it it almost just sounds seems weird that they went back to just 
writing a single, you know, an album that wasn't a double album. But I mean, another one where it's like their output for, you know, the amount of time that they were a band, they put out so much fucking music, you know, and I know everyone, everyone says, I mean, it's called, it's called amphetamines. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that was part of it, but it's like, Hey, there's a lot of people who've done a shit ton of drugs and, uh, probably even if they wrote music was probably terrible sounding. So, I mean, I don't, I don't think it was all that, that may have gave them the energy to write them, but like the amount of songs that that band was fucking writing in the eighties is just, I mean, to a point that I, I don't think you see like, like the amount of, of just Bob, the amount of songs Bob and Grant were writing, like is just, it's insane. And putting out an album basically every year, you know? And, uh, yeah, this album, I mean, I, I'm not saying anything new It's Zen arcade. Like, and Hey, if you've never, if for whatever reason, you've never heard that record, I mean, fuck draw, quit listening to this and, uh, go listen to Zen arcade. I, I will, I will make a, uh, I will make us a nice little Spotify playlist you can find on our page with uh, a couple songs from every album that I talk about on this episode. But, uh, you know, it, uh, I, I love, I love a good, it, it is kind of nice because again, like I feel like you hear that too much with uh bands where it's like, you know, they get defined by the debut. So I think when you really come out with something like you just smash through whatever expectations and take it even further to the point where, well, fuck the pressure writing this album. It's good. There, we wrote an album so good. There's more pressure to follow this up. Like I, I think that's a, uh, you know, it's a great thing, and it's it's probably not a bad problem to have. I, I would think uh, most bands would agree with that. But I got one more for you. I mean, I, I had a huge ass list, but we're not we're not gonna we're not gonna make this a uh, a three hour episode of uh, of sophomore albums that I like. But this is. This is another one where, uh, where, you know, just such a defining sophomore record. My favorite personally, though, I do think they still wrote great music after, but I do think a lot of it got overshadowed by the uh, sophomore. But the Get Up Kids with uh, Something to Write Home About, 1999, um, just, I mean, my right away, I mean, Holiday is one of the greatest album openers of all fucking time, of all time. It has every, it's in E, it has distorted guitars. It starts with a pick slide. Like just, you get a pick slide the second you turn that album on. Like it has everything that, that I need in an album opener. And just the energy is is just fucking insane. And the credit that I give to this record is, you know, so much more produced than 4 Minute Mile. It's, you know, it's definitely not as raw is that record yet I would I would argue it possesses just as much energy even though there's slower songs it's more cleaned up there's a lot more piano on this one you know there there were some keys on a 4 minute mile but I mean now you're hearing it like in every song and uh you know like I I think it's amazing because I this is another one where like going going from the first album to the second one and following it up you know, yes, they took the, you know, and four minute mile. The other thing too, is I do think that is a special record where I think right out the, off the bat, they were pretty unique. Like they weren't one like, like going back to like saves the day where like, I like can't slow down, but it does sound very much like lifetime. I don't feel like the get up kids sounded on four minute mile, like just one straight up band. You know, a lot of times 
that's where I think the debut will have its faults, where it sounds too much like their influences. Yeah, you can hear influences on Four Minute Mile, but they're still their own like like band. And and you know, I, I've heard Matt Pryor and all of them talk about it, but it's like the charm of Four Minute Mile is also the things that they probably don't like about it. Because I think what I've heard him talk about is about re-recording it. Because he's like, we, you know, it was very fast. It, it was like you know, they didn't have time to work on it as much. It, you know, it, it was like a lot of times the ideas weren't fully thought out and, you know, obviously recorded, you know, production wise and everything too. Not, uh, you know, not his, uh, favorite get up kids record. But I think what he said is he realizes though, if he went back, you know, or if they went back and re-recorded it, it would probably lose what everyone loves about it. Because at the end of the day, what makes that album great is its flaws, you know, is its faults and flaws, and I think it's different in that way than a lot of other debuts that I've talked about where I go, that's what stops it from being an amazing debut is its faults and its flaws that it, that it, it does sound too much like this or that. Whereas with four minute mile, it wasn't that, I think that was a very solid debut, but then you write something like something to write home about. And I mean, they kind of continued in a direction, but they also took it somewhere else and just did it in such an amazing fucking way. Like, in a way that a lot of other bands would probably love to have been able to do. Cause there's a lot of bands where it's like, you you know, the sophomore record, it's like, do we just write part two of the first album? Do we do something different? And it's like, sometimes it's too much like the first, sometimes it's, you know, too different from the first. And, uh, with the get up kids, they found, they found that sweet spot. They really did with this album. And it's like, again, it has an intensity. It's just different. I think it has all the intensity of four minute mile, just in a different way. It just doesn't, the intensity doesn't always come to you the same way in the form of just really loud guitar. You know what I mean? Like really loud, like octave chords and stuff. There's times where it does, but, uh, I think there's a lot of other times where the get up kids find other ways to get you, you know, to feel kind of the same way that you did on the first record, but they do it different ways, you know, and, and credit to them doing you know, ways, ways that really they could have fallen on their ass and this album, you know, could have been just not very good at all, you know, and everyone could have been, you know, I missed it because like that, like it could have, they could have cleaned it up too much and people could have went, man, I fucking like this band a lot more than when they were like loose and raw. But, you know, I think they, they kept the right amount of that while, uh, you know, just really cleaning up their act in a lot of ways. And also I, I think credit to, to uh, having, you know, James Dewey's uh, join the band full time. I know he did play on four minute mile, but uh, he was just a guest at that point. And then, and then on uh, something right home about, he was finally a, a full time member. And, uh, you know, I think like I, like I said, the addition of keys on like basically every song on there, I, I think also added to it, which, uh, which I like, you know, just like later on, you know, again, I think this record, uh, eclipses a lot of things that the band later did. And, uh, you know, just Matt Pryor too. I, I think him in general, um, you know, cause the other guys too, you can kind of sneak away from it. And like, you know, I know the other dudes have, uh, you know, like the Pope brothers playing in spoon and, uh, you know, like with James being able to do like Reggie in the full effect and doing stuff with newfound glory and my chemical romance, you know, you can kind of get away from it a little more. Whereas Matt Pryor, you know, being the one writing those songs, I think same with like the new Amsterdam's and just his solo stuff and everything, you know, I, I, I think it, it, you know, there's definitely people, it's not, it's not like I'm the only one who, who sees the genius, like he can still write good songs, 
but I do think so much of his uh, work gets overshadowed after writing an album as amazing as something to write home about. You know, a lot of bands have that issue with their debut, you know, being, being kind of, uh, you know, like, like that, that being what everyone holds you to, you know, that, that standard or that sound, or they want you to be this. And, uh, the get up kids, I think hit that, you know, that, that, I think that's a sweet and sour of a, of an album, like uh, something to write home about is exactly that is it's amazing, but it's, uh, it's basically so amazing that people, you know, people just kind of continue to uh, want that, you know? And also with Matt Pryor too, I think his vocals got better on this. You know, I, I think he, uh, I, I think he kind of reined them in more. And I, I think you see that too with singers where like, uh, uh, you know, it makes sense. I mean, including if you're, uh, if you're touring and you're just doing more, it's like, I think naturally your vocals are going to get better and you'll have a better control over it. And also a better idea, you know, a few years in, you have a better idea of what you want, you know, your vocals to sound like and how they should sound, you know, in the music and in the grand scheme of things. So I think you also saw that with uh, something to write home about, but I mean, this record is, I mean, another one where just one of my all time favorites and uh, you know, huge, Huge in a way, like like I, I think for bands bands within, you know, they're they're definitely not a pop punk band, and they I don't think they'd ever want to be called that. But I mean, I think they influenced the pop punk side of things, just like Saves the Day did with Through Being Cool. But I also think they influenced like the emo and indie rock side as well. You know, like like I think that's the other thing with the Get Up Kids is they're ones where, yeah, they toured with like Dashboard Confessional and uh, you know other vagrant bands, but like. I, I think more than uh, a lot of other of their like contemporaries and stuff, I think they were more influenced and wanted to sound, you know, like a band like Super Drag or Guided by Voices or Super Chunk, you know, who they ended up taking on tour, which would have been amazing to see the Get Up Kids and Super Junk, Super Chunk playing together. Um, but you know, like they had those different influences and uh, different thing that I don't think you heard from every other band that was on vagrant or, you know, that they, you know, like label mates or people that they play with. But, uh, yeah, like with the get up kids, I, same like, you know, they're, they're like motion city soundtrack in that way where like, I, I think the perception they end up getting and the bands they end up kind of getting uh, lumped with are sometimes different from the ones that they kind of, uh, think of the, you know what I mean? Like, like the, like what they think they sound like and who they think they sound like are different than, what the, uh, you know, mainstream and stuff ends up taking them like, you know, I mean, I th- I think they're another one motion city. I think very much like the get up kids are like that where like, I think, I think pop punk bands and pop punk fans embraced them. And, uh, you know, and I think that's great and everything, but I think for them personally, I don't know that that's the scene that they come from. And I, and I know at times it becomes kind of contention within their own. I think, I think writing things, and I, I think it fucks with you later too. You know, I, I think same with the Get Up Kids, where I mean, on a wire, and I talked about this on our underrated albums uh, episode. But like, on a wire is definitely a direct result from the success of something to write home about. You know, it, it is definitely their uh, reaction of that and making an album where, while it is a good album, you know, I talked about it on there how much I love it. But yeah, you know, they they did take away instead of. Like, like with something right home about, they improved on things that they were doing on four minute mile that they were doing well. And then they improved on it. Whereas they didn't continue that. I think with on a wire, 
You know, I mean, they maybe took some of the slower songs, but they got way more experimental and uh, slowed down way more. You know, I mean, not as, uh, not just, you know, a little slower for a ballad like Valentine. Like, they really, you know, changed uh, shit up. And again, not, not in a terrible way, but like, they definitely, I think, had a, we're not, the, you know, you're not going to tell us that we're this band or that we are, you know, this certain way. You know, and I, I think that uh, that was a direct reaction to it. More in a way that I think you see people do with their debut going into sophomore record. And I think the Get Up Kids kind of did it the other way, where it was, you know, their sophomore into their third record again. You know, like like some of the other bands I've talked about on here, where, uh, you know, though, though still less pressure, I think, than Husker do with a, with a double record. You know, but but I I do I don't I don't think that Matt Pryor or the Get Up Kids ever could have uh, lived with themselves if they if if the next record if On a Wire was basically something to write home about part two I don't I don't think they ever would have written that that album I don't think it would have ever existed I don't I don't think you would ever see that you know I think the best you'll get is like like I I loved Problems like I thought that was a great record and uh, and funny enough I mean came out. 20 years after something to write home about. And I think has elements that you can find on that record, you know, that you can find on something to write home about, but also it's not like they went back and rewrote it. You know, they, I, I think they just started adding some shit that the fans missed and wanted more in their music while still continuing to progress and stuff, you know, and that's another one. I'm excited to see where they go on the next album. But, uh, I, I think at this point in their career, you'll find it where they don't have the same reaction. Like, I think they did very well, and I think the fans liked that last album a lot, where I don't think they'll have the same reaction they did, you know, 20 years earlier, where it's like, you like us like that, well, fuck that, we're going to go do this instead. I would think at this point they're like, oh, good, like, we like where we're at, the fans like where we're at, let's continue down that path, you know? I mean, <laughs> at least that's what I'm hoping, and uh, hopefully hopefully they, uh, they come to that soon. I would love a... Uh, new get up kids record. I, I don't know what the plan is on that, but, uh, it, I'm never, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm always down for new get up kids. That is never a bad thing, but uh, that is going to be our episode talking uh favorite, just really bands who, who really their sophomore record eclipsed and kind of beat the shit out of their debut, you know, kind of, kind of took the stereotypes that you get doing your first album. And, uh, you know, dealt, dealt with them on their second for good and bad. You know, some of them again, just like with the get up kids where it became a thing where I, I think it, 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 it impacts you in weird ways. And, uh, you know, you, you sometimes try to fight the direction that, that, uh, people are naturally wanting you to go after you have an album that popular. And, uh, but you know, sometimes it's also good. I, I, I do think that, uh, Sometimes bands doing that also give them a chance where not being pigeonholed on the first album, sometimes it happens on the second one, but sometimes you just have a really solid sophomore record and people kind of let you play around more. And then they go, oh, look, you know, they change sounds every album. Like the first album doesn't sound like the second album, doesn't sound like the third album, doesn't sound like the fourth album, and so on. You know, not every, definitely not every band's that lucky. Um, I feel like most bands wish they could, you know, like kind of change up their sound every album and still be accepted by the fans. But, you know, obviously that is not always the case. But as episode, hope you enjoyed it. Just uh, just a solo one this week. And, uh, you know, stay connected with the show. Follow us at Power Court Hour on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. We're on YouTube. 
We, uh, we're on Spotify for both, you know, you can find the podcast on there. You can also find our playlists every week that, uh, we put up there. A neat one we just put up, uh, from Joey Cobra last week. He did a guest playlist and, uh, we have a bunch of stuff that, uh, we talked about on last week's episode on there. Uh, A lot of the bands that we were mentioning are on there, plus a bunch of other ones too, but he made a big old guest playlist and that is up now. And uh, as well as I put up all the playlists from the radio show. That's the other thing. You can check out the radio show every Friday night on 107.9 WFA in Jamestown, New York. And uh, you can stream the station from anywhere. You can listen worldwide at WRFALP.com. Check that out. We'll have a, a new one for you this Friday. And uh, don't forget, we do have that gi- that giveaway. Thanks to a Jeremy Porter sent me some copies of Candy Coated Cannonball, his brand new album. And uh, just email me, DM me, however, just get a hold of me and let me know your three favorite albums that have been released in 2021 so far. And uh, I'll pick two winners and I'll announce them on next week's podcast. And that per- or those two people will uh, win Jeremy's new album, some uh, stickers and uh, a couple other goodies from him, as well as a Power Chord Hour t-shirt and a bunch of other Power Chord Hour goodies, even a couple things I will pull out of the... Uh, pch vault that uh have not been given away in a while so uh yeah it's gonna be fun and uh hit me up let me know and then and then you will get some new music you will let me know the uh, music that you're loving so far this year and i'll give you some new music that i'm loving so yeah that is going to be the episode for the power court hour podcast i'm anthony merchant thank you so much for listening